I'm excited about this morning, if you cannot tell. I am running on sheer caffeine and willpower this morning because my kids are wide open. And I know you're thinking the, the little one, she's only two months old, but she is wide open. She is going to take after her brother. I already see it. And I've never seen so much energy in my life. And I want to tell you something this morning. This is something, it's a little bit of bitterness in my heart. And I'm just going to go ahead and confess it to you this morning. I have this Apple Watch, and I have this thing on here that tells me how many calories I've burned and how many steps I've taken and, you know, how much exercise I've done. I took Judah to the zoo yesterday. Me and my wife did. We didn't get to park in the zoo. We had to park like a mile and a half away. And so we have the stroller, which, of course, Lila will not lay in. See previous social media post. Um, one of us is always wearing her or carrying her, and she is a ball of heat, so I, be, I believe that's burning more calories. And so I checked it this morning, and I didn't even reach my goal. I went to the zoo, and I didn't reach my goal with a two-and-a-half-year-old. So what I'm trying to say to you today is I am selling my Apple Watch for anybody who wants one. This is our last message in our Unqualified series. I've really enjoyed this series, really love this series, because I believe it speaks to us in a way that, that we need. We need in this day and age, we need right now. You know, you've been here, and you've been hearing it, and I, I just really, I've been encouraged by what I've been hearing from your feedback. And I, How many of y'all have loved this series? Yeah. We're, well, I'm going to close it out today with an awesome message, and my title of my message is called Unlikely. Turn to your neighbor and say, Unlikely. You know, these stories have been not just about us getting up here and teaching you about people in the Bible that was used by God. I hope you know that. These messages have been about showing you how you can be used by God, because if God can do that, he can do it again, Right? And I want to just kind of let you know what this means for you today. The message that I have today, it's going to be awesome. It's something that I think will speak to us all. It will speak to everyone here. Amen. That's a good message that you didn't show up to church today to hear something that's not relevant to you. I want to answer some questions that, that you're asking, not answering some questions that nobody's asking, right? I love this story because it shows us what God has done for the unqualified. And listen, I'm just going to go ahead and set you free. Please feel free to talk back to me and say amen and shout me down. I love it. It helps me preach better. It helps me preach faster. And I can just go ahead and tell you right now, I will do my best not to bore you in these two and a half hours if you don't bore me. Some, some of y'all are getting up and leaving. Um, so I want to ask you this morning, how many of you have had something unlikely happen to you in your life? Raise your hand. All right. Well, I can go ahead and tell you that if you have kids, the chances of something unlikely happening to you just grows exponentially, and it grows with every kid. And I can tell you all kinds of stories. I was thinking of stories, and I'm like, I can't even tell that one because I don't think it's church appropriate. Or... I don't want my son to grow up and be, be so embarrassed or, or some, something like that. So I thought of one that has been recently, and it's more embarrassing for me, I'd say, than it is for anybody. But I have two 
big fears. And I'm talking big fears, crippling fears. Some of y'all will know my fears when I say them. One is I have a fear of heights. I know you're thinking that by my stature, why would I have a fear of heights? I have a strong fear of heights. Like anything over 10 feet, and I'm like, uh, you know. And the funny part about that is I was a painter, and I did construction for a long time, so I was always up on a ladder. I hated it. Never got used to it. Hate it. I quit painting so that I can go back to school. I went back to school so that I wouldn't have to get on a ladder. (laughs) Amen? I hate heights. And somebody asked me, well, you like doing like roller coasters and thrill rides. And I'm like, there's, there's a difference. When you do the daredevil dive at Six Flags, you're 200 feet up in the air, right? Something happens, you're not going to remember it. (laughs) Right? You fall off a 20-foot ladder at 34 years old, something's breaking. Something's breaking, and you're not going to die from it. Something's just going to break, and it's going to hurt. And I can tell you, I broke my wrist last year doing student ministry. (sighs) Too old to do student ministry. Hats off to you, Pastor Brad. I broke my wrist doing student ministry. First broken bone, serious broken bone, and it still hurts today. Things don't heal right. After about 30, things just don't heal right. And so I hate heights. The other thing I hate is spiders. I hate spiders more than heights. Now, I put on my game face because I'm married, and I have a wife who is probably more scared of anything that moves than I am. And so every time, I mean, there can be like fuzz flying through there. Jeremy, there's a spider. I should show you my phone from a conversation we had last night about a stink bug. While I was down there working on the rest of my sermon, she's sending me gifts, you know, help, help. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, it's a stink bug. Like, grab it with some toilet paper. I had to walk up there and get this. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is I'm scared of spiders. I'll put on my game face for her. I'll kill the spider, go in the bathroom, and I'll cry. 15 minutes. So I took Judah to see his great-grandmother, my grandmother, and she lives out on a lake, has a huge yard, massive yard, and this nice area. You can go up. You can fish. It's kind of enclosed, so I don't have to worry about Judah jumping in the water, and thankfully, we have started to teach him how to swim, so if he did, it's not the end of the world. He loves the water. I believe in putting that in him. I was raised around the water. I don't want him to be scared of the water, so we took him fishing, and I can tell you, he could care less about fishing. He wanted to play with the worm. He wanted to eat the worm. He wanted to play with the hook. Then he saw, I let him touch the worm, to which he goes, yuck, and I remember it. And I was like, yeah, see, you don't want to eat the worm, I assure you. Let's go fish. He starts running around the yard. I've, for some reason, I still have his fishing pole, which is about two and a half foot long. And I'm fishing, and I'm like, if I can just catch a brim and let him see it, maybe he'll love it. All of a sudden, I hear my wife go, Jerry, I can't run after him. I've got the baby. And I look. And I see Judah running in the yard, and my grandmother's house is up there, but he's still a good, pretty good ways away, and he's running this big, wide-open yard. I'm like, what's he going to do? It's a yard, you know, and I'm fishing, and then she goes, look. And so I take a step back so I could get a different view. How many of you know that sometimes you got to get a different perspective to see what's happening? And it's about this time that I can start to hear what my son's saying, and he's screaming out, Daddy! It's a cave. 
and I see the crawl space. I'm going to get down here for a minute. Crawl spaces are the devil. They're spiders. But you know what's worse than spiders in the crawl space? There's crickets that look like spiders. You are in a bad place when you evolve to look like spiders. And so my first instinct is I look at him and I think it's unlikely that if he gets in that crawl space that he's ever going to make it out. Because, and I tell him, I say, son, it was great. I love you. Don't go in that crawl space. You know, and I'm trying, I'm like, son, and I'm sitting here, I'm holding the fishing pole and I'm like, I got to go chase him. I've got to go run after him because if he makes it in that crawl space, he's going to retire in the crawl space. He's going to live in the crawl space. I'm going to bring him clothes, but he's going to stay in the crawl space because of the spiders and the evil cave cricket spiders, right? And so I run and I catch him. And of course I'm joking, but I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I'm like, oh my Lord, Jesus, kid, please start liking fishing because I can't do the spider thing. Please don't start liking spiders and caves and, and stuff like that. And I want to tell you that something really unlikely happened. I still snagged a brim and was able to reel it in. Now that's good fishing. <laughs> but I want to tell you this morning that the story that I'm going to be sharing is something that's unlikely. It's something that will give us hope, but it's an unlikely story. And we're going to talk about the character of Mephibosheth. And honestly, I'm probably going to butcher that name more than a few times. And if I do, don't say anything. Just, just shake it off. You try to say it fast. Um, I thought about shortening it, but if you just say meth, it, it's right. Right. Exactly. It just sounds like an urban dictionary version of meth. And I'm like, I kind of feel like it will take away from my message. And so we're going to be talking about Mephibosheth this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It's going to be up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. It's also on version. if you want to follow on that way. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. Let's, let's pause for a second. Okay, so this kid's perfectly fine, and his nurse drops him. And so what I know is that it broke both of his legs. Now, I don't know if it was more damage, and that caused him to become crippled, I know that they didn't have time to fix his leg, so I don't know if it just healed wrong, and that's why he was crippled. We know that he broke his legs, she picked him back up, and ran. Now, that is desperate, because I did not get my son dressed this morning because he had a boo-boo on his toe. So, this kid just broke both of his legs, and now... We're looking at, they're rushing him off. That's desperate. And you have to understand the context here and the characters that's in the story. So we have Saul, who was the first king of Israel. God had rejected him. And then we have his son, Jonathan, who is great friends with David, who is going to be king. He's been anointed by God to be king. And then we have Meshibapheth, who is five years old, and he's the son of Jonathan. 
Imagine being five years old and you're out, just chilling out at your house, doing whatever, having a fun day, running towards caves, trying to give your daddy a heart attack, having a good time. The doors bust open. All of a sudden, people go into pandemonium, screaming, yelling, running around, and all you know is like, what's going on? And somebody tells you that your dad and your granddad have been killed in battle. That's a bad way to start a day for a five-year-old kid. That's a bad day for anybody. But could you imagine being five years old? But it gets worse. Now they're in a panic. David was on his way to the palace to assume power. The problem with that is when the monarchy would change into a different family, the entire family would be killed off so that they wouldn't have anybody that would rise up later and try to assume power as the rightful heir. Has anybody seen the Lion King? This is the Lion King, you know? So he's trying to understand exactly what's going on. The old family is killed off completely, and they did this again. They wanted to make sure that there was nobody that was going to come back up and try to usurp the throne. So everybody's freaking out, thinking that they're going to get killed, including that that David's going to kill this five-year-old boy, Mephibosheth. So at five years old, he's sitting there thinking, my grandfather, my dad are both dead, and now David's coming. Now understand the context is David was a friend of his dad's. And I think of some of my friends, I'm like, that wouldn't be a bad thing. If something happened to me, I know that my friends would come and try to take care of my children. So he probably doesn't fully understand this. By now, David has already been known to be the one that's killed Goliath. He's already had songs written about him. He's a hero. And now he's coming to assume power And this kid is seeing everybody go into pandemonium. And I don't even know that it clicked with him that it was a bad thing. He might have even found comfort in the fact that David was coming. But nobody else did. Everyone else is telling him, David's coming. This is bad. David's coming to kill you. David's coming to kill me. David's coming. We need to get out of here. And there is panic. And in that moment, Mephibosheth is snatched away, and he's dropped, and he's broken. Has anybody ever had a Mephibosheth moment in your life? A moment that turns your whole world upside down. A moment that you were just there. You were, you were just having a normal day, living your normal life, and something happened. That's when you got the bad news. That's when you got the bad report. That's when you got the diagnosis that you didn't expect. That's when the spouse handed you some papers. That's when... You got the thing that you didn't expect. That was the Mephibosheth moment. The story continues. His whole world's flipped upside down. He's left broken. And I believe that there's so many people in our world and even in here that that resonates with. Amen? For years, he's dealt with being broken. He was not healed. He was not helped. He was just snatched up and taken out. I want you to check out 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. I want you to pay attention to that question right now. We'll come back to it later, but just keep that in your mind. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. He is in Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Emil. Don't know if I said that right. Don't judge me if I didn't. Now, based off we know about the killing of the monarchy, it's a weird question that David would come up and say, is there anyone alive that I can show kindness to because of Jonathan? Because that goes against everything that we know should have happened. He's saying, is there anybody in this bloodline that I could show some kindness to because of Jonathan, my friend? You've got to understand the context here. I've already said that they were really good friends. They would have been like brothers. The Bible talks about that. Jonathan knew that David had been anointed king. He talked to David and he said, listen, when you become king, will you show kindness to me and my family. I've never understood the significance of this until I understood that all of that family would have been killed. Jonathan knew that David would be the rightful king anointed by God, and he's asking him, hey, he's saying, I know that you're our God-anointed king. Please show kindness to me and my family and not kill us when you take over. David makes that promise. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and your family. Now, I don't know why it's taken this long. I don't know why David decides to ask if there's anybody left in Jonathan's family. Maybe it's a time of year. Maybe something reminded him of it. But he asked, is there anybody that I can show kindness to because of Jonathan? And Ziba said, yes, but he is broken and he lives in Lodabar. That's important because Lodabar was a place that translates into a place of no bread. It was considered dry. It was considered arid. It was considered desolate. It was considered like the last resort, the last way out, right? And so Mephibosheth is not only being defined by his brokenness and his situation, but it's taken him to a place of desolation. And... First Chronicles chapter 8, it's important to note that the genealogy of Saul is written there, and Mephibosheth was not even this kid's real name. His name was Meribel, and it meant an opponent of Baal. Now, Baal was an Old Testament false god. So think about what that name means. It's as if his father, Jonathan, is saying, hey, listen, you're important. You're in the anointed king's bloodline. You're going to be royalty. You're stately. I want to make a statement with your identity. I want you to be the opponent of the false god. You're my son, Mary Bell. But then somewhere his name got changed to Mephibosheth, which means son of shame or shameful thing. In one moment... His identity is defined by his circumstance. One moment. One moment. 
His whole identity is defined by a circumstance. He had his family destroyed. He's been broken, taken to a place of desolation. And now his identity reflects that brokenness that he no doubt feels. We see that he's lived for a long time in Lodabar. We're not given his age, but we do know that he's grown at this point. And he gets a message from King David saying, I want to see you. Could you imagine what he was thinking now? Can you imagine now he's grown, he's grown up broken, he's grown up in a desolate place, and now the very thing that he's been running from has sent him a message saying, I want you to come here. I can't imagine the fear. But he, he goes, he goes in front of King David. And here's where the story takes an unlikely turn. This is where I got my title from is because it gets to an unlikely place right here. This is not how Mephibosheth would have thought this conversation would have went. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 7 through 8. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all of the property that once belonged to your grandfather, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed down respectfully. This is the saddest verse in this story. Listen to this. He bowed down respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Listen to that. He says, I'm a dead dog. Who am I that you should show kindness to me, a dead dog? All the years being broken in Lodabar has caused him to think of himself as worthless. He believes he's unqualified to eat with the king. I believe that there's people right now that feel like that. They believe that they're unqualified to eat with the king. And what I want to tell you this morning, what I believe that God wants to tell you is, what we believe about ourselves will eventually become our identity. It becomes who we are because what we believe becomes the voice inside of us that tells us who we are. Your identity, your identity. One moment his identity changed and he spent his whole life thinking of himself as worthless. Maybe that's you this morning. You've been broken for so long. You've been in a desolate place for so long that you've adopted it as your identity. And I want to tell you that that is not who you are. I think most of us understand that our identities are more than just our names. I think, I think some of us understand that it's more than just what somebody else has said about us. But the problem is, is how much effort do we actually put forth and invest in trying to figure out what drives us and what's actually came in and we've allowed it to become our identity. A lot of the times we don't even stop because we just know that that's who we are. And this is the same situation that we see. He doesn't know that, that David had a promise to Jonathan he just knows that when he was five years old, he got redefined, and it's became who he is. When our perception of us becomes distorted, our entire emotional equilibrium is thrown off. And that's what we see here. 
an identity that is informed by feelings of inadequacy. I want to tell you this morning, church, that's a dangerous thing. When you are defined by what you believe to be inadequacies in yourself, that becomes dangerous. Because eventually, it will no longer be the thing that I struggle with. It will be the thing that defines you. I want to tell you that Jesus is the king of the unlikely. Jesus is the king of the unlikely. He, he's the God of the unqualified. He's the God of the fearful. He's, he's the God of the broken. The king is restoring Mephibosheth, and all of a sudden, everything he has ever known has changed in a moment. He's been told one thing about King David, and now he's seeing that his experience is telling him something different. He's been told one thing. He's known one thing, but he's seeing that what he's actually experiencing is something different, and that's what so many people do. I've seen it in my years as a youth pastor. That's what teenagers do. I see it in adults. I see it everywhere around me that people have been told something (laughs) and they believe it and it defines them. They run from the king because of what they've been told. They end up in a desolate place. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you this morning that just as Mephibosheth had an unlikely outcome, we do too. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, there's a twist in the story. (laughs) There's a twist in the story. It's important to know that at this point, David says to Ziba, come here. I'm going to give Mephibosheth all of Saul's property. That was a lot of land. Remember, Saul was king. That's a lot to be restored to. That's a lot to come in thinking that you're a broken, dead dog to see that you're restored to the king's property. So think about this. He gives everything that was Saul's, all of his land. And then I love this. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table. Now, we love this ending. We love a story where we see somebody that had fallen on bad times and become broken and had an identity where they thought of themselves as worthless and now they're being restored to a place that they probably couldn't even imagine. Because I remember what it was like being a kid at my grandmother's house and I thought that it was a palace. And I went back a couple of years ago and it's just a house. Now, could you imagine what he must have thought when he was there in the palace and he's going to be heir to the throne and he's probably just looking at it like, this is my home until it's gone. And now he's having it all restored to him just like that in a moment. His life was flipped upside down and now he received an unlikely invitation And I'm going to close with this. I'm bringing this plane down. I always like to tell y'all that I'm going to preach a lot longer than I have. Band, if you'll come on up and just prepare to play. We love stories like this. We love stories like that of Mephibosheth, this little boy who had a terrible beginning, 
it yet ends up with a beautiful ending. The reason why we love that is because it's etched into our DNA. Here's what I want you to understand. This is why I said this message is going to speak to you because we are all Mephibosheth. We're all Mephibosheth. Everybody. We're all Mephibosheth. You see the story. It's an Old Testament story, but it's an allegory of what Christ has done for you and me. I love seeing that in the Bible. I love seeing how God did things that, that showed what Jesus was going to do for us. What Jesus was going to do for me. A, a punk rock kid in high school that was broke. it here just in case um a kid that was broken and i came in to a student ministry that i was uncomfortable being in that i was talked into being in and now i see that there's actually an invitation being extended to this kid that was broken and so i could tell you that i love this story because i am mephibosheth And you may be asking yourself, what do you mean, Pastor Jeremy? And there's three ways that I want to show you that we're like Mephibosheth. If you're taking notes, please write this down. These are important. First off, we are fallen and broken. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and we all fall short of the glorious standard of God. One translation says everyone. I did a word study on that word everyone. It's a Greek word. You know what it means? It means everyone. I looked it up last night because I was like, I'm going to actually put that in there. Can't pronounce it. So I didn't want to put it in there. But I want to tell you that it means everyone. And then I looked at the word here for this translation. And it means all. Does that give somebody hope this morning? That it means all. The second way that we're like Mephibosheth is that we are pursued by the king. Come on. Come on, church. Can we give God praise that we have a savior who decided he was going to pursue us? That he was going to give us an invitation Not some earthly king that's just going to restore some value to us, but the king of kings. The value that he's going to put on you means more than anything that that would have been given back to Mephibosheth. And I want to tell you that we're pursued by the king. Mephibosheth was not left in his situation. He wasn't left in the desolate place. He wasn't left in isolation. He was brought to the king's table. And I want to tell you that just as he was, so are we. So are you. So am I. Next time we we start to think of ourselves as, I'm too broken. I'm a dead dog. I'm unqualified to be at the king's table. It's not what this is telling me. This is telling me that that King David decided that, listen, your identity is not what has happened to you. Your identity is not where you've been. Your identity is not what you've done. Your identity 
is the son of Jonathan, who I'm going to show kindness to. And God looks at us this morning and he says, your identity is not your past. It's not your experiences. It's who I say you are. Somebody came and changed Mephibosheth's name, but they never had the authority to do so. I want to tell you, you've been given an identity that totally, totally has more authority than your past. It has more authority than what you've done. It has more authority than what you think of yourself. Come on, church. (laughs) God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. He has something unlikely in mind. He sent his son into the world so he could save the world through his son. Unlikely twist to the story. The same is true for us. We've been pursued by the king. And the last way that we're like Mephibosheth is that the king restores us and invites us to his table. Now I want to tell you that when Mephibosheth would have been sitting at the kids, uh, king's table, kids table, ah, Thanksgiving reference. When he's sitting at the king's table, listen to me, church. You couldn't see his legs. You couldn't see his brokenness. You couldn't see that thing that's defined him for a great part of his life. You just saw somebody at the king's table that was being covered. That's what Christ does when he, when he brings us to the table. He restores us, but he's also covering us. You're a new creation. You're at my table now. You're at my table now. People didn't know him as the broken kid. People knew him as somebody who's eating at the same table as the king. It's the same for us. Romans 3.24 Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. Luke 22 verse 29 and 30 And just as my Father has granted... Listen to this. This is the authority that's pursued us. Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, now I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table my kingdom. Now let's go back and look at at verse 29 again. It says, Mephibosheth ate regularly at the king's table. He who was broken and unqualified ate regularly at the king's table. Now I want to tell you that you who feel broken and unqualified can eat regularly at the king's table. Bow your head and close your eyes this morning. I want to speak to two groups of people. and I can go ahead and tell you that if God's been speaking to you this morning, you know it. You know it in this place. You know it right where you are. And I want to tell you that that's a good thing. Because we serve a king that pursues us and restores us. Now, I've read a lot of stories about Jesus 
And the ones that stick out in my head are the ones that said, he's the good shepherd who will leave the 99 sheep to go find the one. Or he's the father that will run out into the field to grab the prodigal. But the first thing is, is that we're like Mephibosheth. We're like Mephibosheth. He could not be restored until the king sent him an invitation and he accepted it. Now the same thing is for us. Jesus has already been the invitation. We've already had the messenger with the invitation. But there's those of us that I believe needs to say yes to that invitation this morning. There's those of us, I want to always give this opportunity. I never want to take it for granted because it means a lot that the king has pursued us. It means a lot that he's given us this, this invitation that says you are not this person. You are who I called you to be and you are who I named you. Jesus was the messenger and I want to ask you today if you'll accept this invitation. If you're here and that's you and you want to do that, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand. You can look up at me, make sure that I see you. One, nobody's looking around. It's just me, you, and Jesus right now. Two, if you're here, you already know it. Three, raise your hand if that's you today. Praise Jesus. What that tells me is that you already know we have a good king. You already know that we have a good king. But there's a second group that I want to talk to today. You're here. You're broken. You've been in Lodabar. In desolation, you're feeling unqualified this morning. You believe that God can't use you you believe that, that God won't use you, that you're just happy that he invited you. But I want to tell you this morning that this whole series has been for you. This whole series has been about telling you that you're not unqualified, that when you're called to that table, when you accept that invitation, your identity changes. And so if you're here this morning and that's you, I'm going to count to three. And I believe that what you're feeling right now is, is that God's going to show you how he can move in you. And this whole thing has been about that when God moves in you, it enables you to let him move through you. We have a broken world. We have a world that feels just like you do. But we have hope. They need it. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If that's you, please raise your hand. Again, nobody's looking around. This is just between us. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. See that hand? I see that hand. 
going to pray for you guys this morning. And I just believe that, man, God's powerful. God's big and he knows what he's doing. We've been seeing people restored, people's identities being changed, people's circumstances being changed because I believe that this is our God. I believe this isn't the God that we can read stories about, but instead it's the God that wants to do it for us right now. It's the God that still restores people. He's the God that still pursues people. He's the God of hope, and he's the God that fixes our brokenness. He takes the unqualified, and he does great things through them. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. And then we're going to just go into a little time of worship. If you feel like you need to spend more time with God, then I encourage that. We are a church that believes that if God's doing something in your heart, let him do it. Just because I come to the end of some notes doesn't mean that we're done. And so if you want God to do more or you feel like God's doing more, maybe you're in here and you didn't raise your hand. Spend time. Spend time. If you're in here and you feel God's done what he wanted to do with me today, then I want to just invite you to feel no condemnation. After I pray, we'll be dismissed if, if, if you're good. And if there's anybody in here that wants to worship, we'll, we'll worship. Father God, we praise you because you are the king of the unlikely. You are the God of the unqualified. Thank you, God, that we can come before you and we can ask you that where we're at right now is not where we want to be. And we thank you that you pursue us there. We thank you that you don't leave us there. We thank you, God, for your presence this morning drawing us in. Now, I pray that those that lifted their hands saying that this is me. I feel unqualified to be at the king's table. I feel unqualified to do what God's called me to do. God can't use me. Then, Lord, I pray that you just show them that they're at the king's table and they're covered. And just the same way we were able to look at these stories written, and, and these were just some that we picked the Bible is full of stories just like these. God, show us that we're the story that you're writing. You're doing something in us to allow us to let you move through us. Lord, I pray for restoration. I pray for hope. I pray for a great knowledge that they are not who they have believed for so long. Instead, they are who you made them to be, God. We exalt you. We lift you up. Thank you for your presence and your word in this place, God. In your holy name I pray. Amen.